This talk is given by a student at Ordinary Mind Zendo. In these talks, senior students explore their personal journeys, share their understanding of the Dharma, and offer encouragement to others in their practice. The talks are unique in that they present a diverse set of voices walking a common path. So, I've been thinking about uh, different facets of impermanence beyond just old age, sickness, and death. And what I wanted to talk about today is the notion of stability, both the stability we look for in practice, in the Zendo, and in our relationships. And what happens when these ordinary ideas of stability that we start with collide with all of the impermanence and emptiness that we hear about. And I'm sort of going to use this uh, koan or just introduce it as something that these ideas can hang on for all of us. And this is from the Book of Serenity, Case 75. It goes like this. Rueyan asked Yanto, what is the fundamental constant principle? Yanto said, moving. Rueyan said, when moving, what then? Yanto said, you don't see the fundamental constant principle. Rueyan stood there thinking. Yanto said, if you agree, you're not yet free of sense and matter. And if you don't agree, you'll be forever sunk in birth and death. And the guy who collected all these koans in the Book of Serenity writes appreciatory verses for all these koans. And the poem for this one uh, is as follows. The round pearl has no flaws. The great raw gem isn't polished. Where the person of the way is praiseworthy, they have no sharp edges. When the path of agreement is forgotten, senses and dust are empty. The free body resting on nothing, alive and frisky. So I personally really like koans. Um, they used to be these terrifying, formal, esoteric things that um, I encountered in the last place I practiced. And you only worked with them this highly systematized, almost secret way with your teacher. And when I came to Ordinary, Ordinary Mind Zendo for the first time, Barry gave a talk on a koan and I asked him, oh, so what do we do with koans here? And he said, well, you know, mostly we talk about them. And uh, it was very uh, freeing to take them off of this pedestal. And at first I was like, oh my God, yeah, no, we can't, you know, or like internally, like, oh, I can't, oh, I can't do that. And, um, you know, he would say things like, well, we think of them as dreams, you know, put yourself in the position of each person as though it were a dream. We can look at them as jokes. And um, I sort of took this freedom as a way of looking for my own way into them too. And I've kind of settled on seeing them as a book of perspectives. Um, and that's sort of like one of my ways into this. And I think we all need to do that. Like we shouldn't be afraid of these things. You know, it's okay to be like, these are ridiculous and opaque and I don't like them. Or, you know, just play with them, see what shakes out. Uh, so for me, you know, it's a book of perspectives and I try to look at the perspective that the student is coming with to start with their question. Because that's how a lot of these usually go. A student comes with a question, the master responds. In this question, what is the fundamental constant principle? Each of these questions come with the whole worldview and perspective behind them. And these worldviews, these perspectives presuppose what the answer is and what the answer looks like. 
right? It seems as though the monk is asking a question, but really he's setting up the teacher to say something that he wants to hear, right? Validate the way I see the world. So why ask the question if you think you know what the uh, answer will look like? It's an interesting question. It's also an interesting question if we do this, you know, at our own practice, like with barrier, with another teacher we have, um, you know, years ago in discussion group, I might say something like, um, oh, I have a question, right? And then say something from my own perspective of how I see it, rather than actually being a student and asking, you know, challenge my perspective or, you know what I mean? Expecting that perspective to be challenged. And um, I think that's a great practice is tilting towards questions or tilting towards an openness to experiencing a different perspective, realizing that our questions come from a perspective. And it's the job of the teacher to not be drawn into this, to not be drawn into colluding with us. They have to respond from their perspective. And it's a perspective that we and the monks hadn't considered or have actively been avoiding, right? Rueyan in this koan is looking for permanence, something fundamental and constant. And in all the different translations of that phrase, fundamental constant principle, fundamental means permanence in all of them. So he is looking for something permanent. Permanence will be the solution to his suffering, right? If he can find some place to stand. And Yanto presents him with moving, right? With impermanence. So let's um, make these monks personal and take their question seriously. So Ruan's asking this question after years and years and years of practice with Yanto. I think we can fall into the trap of just seeing these monks as sort of like fall guys, you know, oh, well, he doesn't get it, you know, or he stood there thinking, well, that's wrong. But usually they've been practicing for quite a while. And in other koans, these students are the masters that other students are coming from. So um, we should give them the benefit of the doubt and think that there's more depth to the question than its point being simply to be smacked away by a master. So if he's asking, you know, I've been practicing for years, I keep hearing all this business about impermanence, you know, even emptiness in the Heart Sutra, right? One of the crazy things the Heart Sutra does is undo the Four Noble Truths right? You know, no suffering, no cause of suffering, no path, no wisdom. You know, and this guy's been chanting this every day and he might be wondering, what can I rely on, you know? And to me, it sounds like he's asking for stability, right? And not just stability, but permanence as stability. For him, permanence and stability are synonyms. And, you know, for me too, like that's sort of how I generally view a definition of stability. This is reliable. This will not change. Um, this is not as impermanent as I'm afraid it is. And it sounds like Yanto is saying, well, there's nothing you'll ever find to rely upon, right? Moving impermanence. There's nothing to stand upon. And something else I try to keep in mind when I look at these stories is that the teacher is not just trying to pull, like to use a technical term, a mindfuck on the student, right? He's not just trying to just pull the rug out from under him. They're generally always trying to 
return the student back home to the life that they're trying to escape, right? Like so much of Zen is just to bring us back to exactly where we are. Um, it's, it's that simple a lot of the time. So I don't think that Yanto's response is meant to turn stability into an enemy, right? Or trying to suggest that us looking for it is just another confirmation of our weakness or delusion or ignorance. Um, we need stability to develop ourselves. You know, growing up, we need a stable environment in which to mature. Or if we don't have that, you know, later discovering um, stable environments we can create, you know, found families or healing with um, teachers or professionals. But we need this kind of support to find out who we are, strengthen our identity, flourish. Um, so we shouldn't, you know, begrudge a search for stability, you know, from the get-go. I think what Yanto is challenging, because much like giving the monk the benefit of the doubt, we need to give the teacher the benefit of the doubt and assume he's not just, you know what I mean, doing the antagonistic thing. So I think what he's challenging is our definition of stability. He's asking us to reconsider synonymizing stability with permanence. You know, he's like, you're selling yourself short. You're screwing yourself. If, you know, that's what you're doing, you'll never be safe or comfortable in your own life. Because, again, he's trying to help this guy feel at home in his own life. So what do you think Ruan might have asked, might have thought that Yanto was supposed to say? Like, if we have this background that he's been a monk for many, many years, in a monastery where, you know, there's this set schedule that's unchanging. It's reasonable to think that Ruan was hoping Yanto might say, oh, your practice, right? This life of a monk, you know, this is what you can rely upon. This is what's unchanging. Um, so let's take a, a look at our life here, you know, in our Zendo, ordinary mind Zendo, because we always need to bring these stories back to us. Otherwise they don't matter. They're not useful. Um, and many of them, for me, like I can't relate back to my life. So I kind of sort of ignore those ones. And then once in a while, one of them will grab me and be like, oh, this relates to us. And this koan is one of those. Um, so here in the Zendo, what is the nature of stability that you experience here? Right? Do you experience it as stable? Um, what does it mean to rely on this? When I first began sitting here, my experience of this place was its permanence, right? There was this fixed schedule. Whether or not I was present in the Zendo, I knew Claire was there. You know, I knew she was there lighting a candle at 6 p.m., right, in the morning at 7.30 or whenever it was years and years ago. And uh, the schedule's there, the teacher's there, the Jikido's there, the Sangha's there. And even after all this chaos of the pandemic, like Zoom, you know what I mean? Like this room is constantly open and there's usually something going on a lot of the time. So there is still this constancy and it feels like a foregone conclusion, right? Sometimes that's what stability can mean to us initially is it's a foregone conclusion that this thing will be here that we can rely on. And at this point, I sort of started doing the math. I've kind of been in residential training for close to seven years between two stints here and another one at another training center. 
And um, that first training center was maintained by a bunch of monks and it was much more formalized. There were so many people maintaining so much of it. Then when I came here, um, you know, Claire was largely the model and mascot for practice in a lot of ways. And um, there were still, you know, many Jikidos and many other people practicing, but it sort of changed my perspective on responsibility for all of this. And it's driven home how a Zendo is not carved out of stone, right? The constancy of ritual and schedule looks static, but that's not its nature at all. Um, I started to appreciate how, like, if no one shows up, if I show, don't show up, if no one lights the candle, if none of you come to sit, if there are no Jikidos, um, our practice doesn't exist. And that sounds really dramatic, but like, there's a truth to it. Buddhism, Zen practice, like these are verbs, right? We treat them as these foregone nouns, but like, if we don't do it, Zen practice doesn't exist in the world. Um, and that's, you know, for me, that's sort of a motivation for this. You know, Barry will often say, um, we make our beds in the morning to become the kinds of people who make our beds. I've always seen it as we make our beds in the morning so that the world is a world of made beds, right? We light the candle in the morning so that the world is a world of Buddhism, so that this is here on offer. Um, so the opposite of permanence is an instability. The opposite of permanence is, you know, for lack of a better world, word, dynamic stability right? It's stability as a verb. And it's seeing ourselves as responsible for creating stability, for creating all of this. So I think it's also helpful before we change gears to think about what the appeal of something fundamental, permanent, and constant is. Like, why do we want that foregone conclusion, that ground and it's not as simple as there is familiarity and like, you know, security and safety. And that comes from having a way to control our experience, right? If this is always here, you know, I can just come here, not be responsible for life and, you know, keep some things out, keep some things in. And this helps me control things. Right. Um, but the spirit of moving of Yanto's answer um, actually doesn't let us rest upon these things passively. Um, it doesn't let us stand back from the world. We have to be part of impermanence. We have to accept our own impermanence. Um, and when you first come here, you know, like when I first came here, it's more important to just let it be a noun. You know what I mean? To like, just let ourselves marinate in the care of others, the container of Sangha and um, take it in that way. And the same way as um, needing stability is like a child, you know, experiencing that stability early in practice. And then over time, over our practice of sitting um, with trust rather than control, letting it, you know, letting yourself slowly become aware of the fact that like, I am a vital part of this. Right. What I do matters, even if you're not ringing the bells or anything, you know, you're showing up matters. And that's not in the sense of like taking it all on your shoulders. It's in the sense of um, 
your actions being a part of creating this. Um, and I want to shift gears now to talking about um, the kind of stability as permanence that we might look for in our interpersonal relationships. And one of the things that we should learn to do in Zen practice is generalized insight, right? That's something, for example, like what Joko would say about um, uh, don't move during, you know, don't scratch your nose or like when you have an itch, don't move your legs when they're in pain. And you sort of learn to, um, you can generalize that into staying with everything you're trying to avoid and then being with that anger and anxiety to flow into each other. And um, there can be something similar with this dynamism and the impermanence of the Zendo that we participate in um, and our relationships with other people, or at least this is how it is for me. Like this sort of insight really helped me reconsider my patterns and behaviors in relationships. So <laughs> for most of my life, I've been um, assistant, right-hand man um, to a number of successful older men. And uh, it's, um, it's interesting, right? Like the first one was a famous cell biologist, right? And I sort of um, knocked on the door and was basically like, you know, like I'll, I'll wash glassware, I'm stronger than I look, I can carry things if you will teach me science. And um, it was a great relationship. Like he brought me to some very famous labs in the country. And I learned how to do a lot of research and think about things, and be observant. Um, and he would just casually mention all these wonderful little practices. Like, oh, when you're on a plane, try writing up little vignettes of what you see in another person. Not like a story, just cultivate your observation um, that would be helpful in experiments. And I began to see my role as sort of this exchange, right? Like I am a, um, you know, bow my head, do what's needed, be an apprentice endlessly. And then like, I pick up these little tidbits and it's enormously valuable. You know, the second guy was a Nobel laureate. Um, and uh, the third guy is a Zen psychoanalyst. You know, it's a, uh, it's a little bit of a habit. And um in Dokusan, I once mentioned to Barry offhandedly a passage from Dante that was sticking in my head and I didn't know why. I was like, oh yeah, it's just this thing that's in my mind. I can't remember where it is, where it's from, which is probably a good sign. I think we forget these things when it's less of an issue for ourselves. But I think it's from La Vida Nuova and it's the section where Dante describes the different periods of a man's life. And um, in his 30s, a man is supposed to be uh, comely of experience, quick of wit, immensely useful, and always on hand. And the spirit of that um, is less submission. It's more uh, apprenticeship, which is sort of the way at the time, right? There were artisans and apprentices, and uh, it made sense. Um, and I mentioned that, and I told Barry, like, yeah, that's, I read that some, I read about that. and Barry. Uh, said, okay, yeah, what's on the next page? And uh, in a funny way, that's exactly what 
Yanto said to Ruayan, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I have this fundamental constant thing. And, you know, Barry's like, oh, right. Yeah, that sounds great. Move. You know what I mean? Like, um, move out of that, like grow out of that. Um, this is, you know, our practice has so much more to offer that perspective. Um, and when he said that, you know, what's on the next page, I laughed and I said, oh, I never read that far. And, um, you know, very revealing. And it's really funny when you say these things out loud that are so expressive of your like unconscious workings. Um, I love those moments. Um, so the, like I said earlier, the appeal of those constant places is that they are someplace we can stand to control our experience. Um, you know, by being a perpetual apprentice, by hiding behind these people, you know, constantly preparing and never doing anything with it, um, I was not only controlling my own safety, but I was controlling how they would respond to me, right? Like if I'm always in this role, I could continue access of this channel of training, right? Even though that there was no plan to ever do anything with it, that, that became how I defined stability, right? A safe relationship was just this narrow channel that required me to behave a certain way. And I think when I became, when I began to see like that pattern, I also started to see my motivation for it. And the motivation for it was the avoidance of risk. Because if I stepped outside of that script, well, I don't know what the response will be on either side. You know, it's entirely possible that the mentor figure would be like, okay, well, I'm not interested in this anymore. You know, not all of these interactions, when we become um, vulnerable to something new, not all these interactions uh, change for what we might define as the better, right? And part of this is letting go of that idea of um, uh, trying to have it our way, um, trying to ward off certain experiences, you know, abandonment, or even having to grow up. You know, there's, there's a lot we don't want to experience. And we can generalize our experience of the Zendo, right, as this thing that we are all actively participating in to our relationships. You know, when we stop seeing a relationship with someone as this static, single role, single pattern thing, that it's something being co-created, you know, there are more moves on the board. And, you know, we might realize, you know, I'm bored with this pattern. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not doing as much for me anymore. It's, it's time to step out of it and then see what happens. And, you know, we don't have to be afraid of it, right? There is that risk of, oh, I won't get what I think I need anymore, right? But I might discover the rest of my life, right? Because much like what the teachers are trying to get us to realize about holding life at bay, you know, I am holding a lot of myself at bay from life, not just from this person, but from everything, um, from myself. And I've thrown a lot of ideas out here, but I think the poem to this koan ties them all together. Uh, so I'm going to come back to that. And when you hear it this time, let it be metaphor. Right, like, like think about what is my life in this? What is stability? What is responsibility? 
um, where is freedom? So it goes like this. The round pearl has no flaw. The great raw gem is unpolished. Where the person of the way is praiseworthy, they have no sharp edges. Where the path of agreement is forgotten, senses in dust are empty. The free body resting on nothing is alive and frisky. And that is letting go of seeing stability only as permanence, right? We return to the aliveness and friskiness of our true nature and the true nature of Ascendo and of relationship. Um, so yeah, let's just move forward together and try to keep our relationships and our Ascendo alive and frisky. So thank you. <laughs>